Hi, this is Jonas. Welcome to another episode of the Bonsai Wire podcast. Today, I'm here with Michael Hagedorn. Hello, hello. Hey, Mike. Hi. Today, we want to talk <laughs> about containers. I was talking to Michael recently, and I was wondering if he'd ever come up with some kind of a description or statement regarding to the use of things other than containers to contain the roots for our trees. And I thought it'd be fun to kind of... The answer was no. <laughs> so I thought we'd do a podcast about it. Great. Exactly. I haven't been on here for a while. <laughs> it's good to hear uh, your voice again. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. Likewise. With a, with a big topic. Um, yeah. Years ago, before I went to Japan, uh, I had some sort of a PowerPoint where uh, I was trying to break down. I don't know. It's funny when you give a presentation off and you're kind of Firstly, educating yourself because it was something I hadn't attempted before. I was trying to break down the, you know, just sort of the traditional framework of containers. So I didn't even get to, you know, wacky stuff. Um, but uh, I think um, uh, I'd be curious uh, to know what your opinions are. Uh, we we have we're we're starting fresh here. We we haven't talked about this, <laughs> so uh, so we'll discover as we go along. I think is that right? That is fair. The spontaneity is, is genuine. <laughs> And right. so there's more than a little bit of irony that the potter <laughs> is the person who is most ushered in the era of using things other than pots for their trees. Um, yeah, that feels like a former life. Um, oh, uh, making containers uh, for bonsai out of clay. Um, well, and, if we started uh, there, yeah, let's yeah, just start with one of the start. actual biggest questions that comes up with that is, how as a potter did you navigate reproducing existing forms and trying to assert independence because that seems to be the issue of contemporary pot makers yeah yeah well i personally i think i did it poorly but actually i have i have some strong opinions about that now <laughs> hmm. um but it uh it's a good question i came from the uh ceramic sculpture actually I, I had done an awful lot of pots i think i i got into ceramics as a sophomore in college and i was throwing on the wheel for about a year and eventually i was making these strange sort of oh gosh they were like um adobe-esque uh full of straw kind of nest-like things so i was slowly moving into sort of sculpture um and then after graduate school i started making um making pots uh for bonsai trees and I, I didn't, I actually, I, I was such a sort of a rebellious spirit back then that I, I didn't spend an awful lot of time studying uh, traditional uh, pot shapes like, uh, like now does, you know, he does an amazing job. This is one of our local potters up here in Portland um, who has done a, um, a, a deep study of traditional form and and found his own way with it. And he did it the right way. <laughs> so I figure I did it the wrong way. And I think, uh, so this is where I get into, you know, sort of my own opinions about these sorts of things, which is that, um, is that the Japanese have given us sort of this framework, right, of, of, of these three feelings uh, of, of shin, gyo, and so. And these kind of, they qualify three different feelings, strong and kind of medium and kind of playful. Uh, there's more to it than that, but just just to throw that out. I know we've been talking about this in other, other places, uh, but... Um, but those three feelings uh, are kind of if if you're if you're a more of a complete potter, what I, what I would say is that is that we should be able to handle all three of those. And I don't think I ever did that. Um, but uh, but somebody like like now, um, 
uh, has more of a possibility, I think, because he spent this time kind of uh, digging into uh, the tradition of, of the Chinese form. So I want to get back to that a little bit later and talk a bit about the history of, uh, of the Chinese um, development of, of uh, containers for, for small trees. Uh, but, but my main point, uh, just to start off, is that like most artists, we have kind of a stamp on our work, you know, it's sort of like a fingerprint. And at most uh, potters, like most artists, we have one or two feelings. Uh, and we don't really, we don't really fill out the whole, um, the whole vocabulary that the Japanese have, have offered um, as a framework. I don't think it's a bad thing. It's just an observation that, that myself, my, my tenure as a potter was sort of limited to, to my fingerprint. <laughs> I don't think it was as broad as, as I, as I wanted it to be. Um, and there are many ways of broadening it. I mean, you can throw pots on the wheel, you can do kind of wiggly things, and then you can make things in molds that have really clear definition. And I didn't, I, I didn't explore the full range of that. Anyway, I would throw that out there as a, as a challenge for Western potters. <laughs> um, to try to fill uh, out a greater breadth yeah, of what's it, available to them in terms of direction. Yeah, yeah, as a way to explore something to offer. Again, I don't mean that to be a judgment, really, because I think um, while it might be a challenge <laughs> um, that that one could offer an artist, I think that um, uh, that very often we do one thing really well, and it, it and it's you know the challenge which we might never. Uh, manage to do is is to create more styles um you know often not just potters but often artists seem to have you know uh one or two main ideas that they keep riff rifting off of their whole careers be it a, a photographer or a, a painter um writers uh, filmmakers um, so it's it, at best, it's a challenge to. <laughs> anyway, but maybe we should talk a, a well, bit more say, specifically. To, well, yeah, that leads about, to something which is, <clears throat> it, is that's three different approaches yeah. of formality, say, within right. the framework right. of what the Japanese and before that, the Chinese had been traditionally doing. Right. Then there's everything outside of that whole universe. Exactly. Yeah. And so should potters <laughs> feel beholden to making pots look like the way they looked before? Or should we all just dissolve ourselves of that notion uh, and allow pots to look like uh, anything i think i think potters should be should be led to follow tradition if they're led to follow tradition um i i think it's an interesting place to start but that's that's just a comment i mean yeah. um I, I think it's wonderful that now uh at this time we have potters that are kind of filling out this whole range um uh, there are people um, who are doing pots with um, with real clear ties to traditional forms, and and others who are making pots that have almost none. Um, but if you break down a bonsai pot, it has it has some familiar structures. There's a lip. There's a wall that has a certain depth. There's a foot, or a, or, or maybe the lack of a foot. Um, and there are drain holes and uh, the walls can't be too thick. So it's not too heavy to, to lift up. And it's, um, and all those things are, are these familiar, I would call them constructs because if we go to an alternate universe, a bonsai pot is, is probably going to look like a totally different thing. Um, but, but 
a lot a large part of what we think of as a bonsai container um, are made up of the ending points, I think. So lips and feet. So if the lip is small or non-existent or the foot is very tall or very, very short, and maybe the foot has a little bit of character to it, like a cloud foot or something like that. These ending points are the things that that give us the stamp of feeling, I think. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are shapes to the, to the wall as, as well. Um, but uh, but the ending points are, are a big part of um, of uh, where the tradition begins to loft off into other areas. Um, and then you know you know to to go back to what you brought up you know do uh, should Western potters be beholden to any of this? And there's a few that have really gone gone sideways in really playful, fun ways that 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 only are holding soil and have a hole in them. I mean that's about the only thing that is that is common to them and traditional bonsai forms. It's interesting trying to figure out how to evaluate where they work since studying bonsai in Japan is so much about, it revolves around that exquisite taste that is required, meaning in not good or bad, but that the deep experience it takes to match container to trunk and, and foliar silhouette based on that tradition that actually is it's a really hard. it's very hard and it there are yeah. multiple right answers but there are also wrong-ish answers within that <laughs> wrong-ish. good um, yeah and right. so after developing all of this taste and studying for so many years you kind of internalize this right wrong appropriate inappropriate exaggerate these features downplay those features <laughs> kind of relationships and so many of our new traditions are growing up completely out of that. Some of these new directions are informed, but going in a decidedly different direction. Many of them are more of a folk art inspired, fully ignorant of what tradition there may or may not be. And so good observation. It's it's interesting when, um, when talking with these potters and trying to look at the trees is it's a really fun exercise for me, at least to start looking and asking, wow, which of my biases do I carry over and which do I leave (laughs) at the door? I feel like the roots are going to need so much space in this kind of configuration to keep the tree healthy. Start there. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The rest is kind of decorative. (laughs) The color, the shape, the clay, the style, the the fix-ins, the details. That's the construct. Really up for grabs. Totally invented. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. To, To some degree, I guess we have to have to assume maybe this is even a bad assumption that that the container is on some level to present the tr- the tree and then it has to provide like you said an adequate volume of, of soil for health um of course we could secondarily say this is uh we need these to employ potters um and then of course they can provide anxiety during earthquakes uh, <laughs> in the pot rooms of japan uh, oh my uh, goodness my teacher's pot room uh, mr suzuki's i mean everything is tied down with rope um <laughs> yeah kimuras are often tied down as well yeah right <laughs> um so many many uses um, <laughs> um do you have you uh spent much time helping people suit completely modern containers to trees do you do you do much with that in your very few I, that's a oh interesting that's an interesting question very few yeah most of the clients that i currently have are more 
interested in traditional forms. In fact, in fact, uh, uh, they they tend to be uh, trying to source uh, Chinese uh, containers, so antiques. And um, those are wonderful pots. I, every time you pick them up, as a potter, I have this great um, sense of, uh, of of sort of valuation and and. Uh, um, Kind of they're very humbling pots really i um and i would love to talk about that briefly i don't know if this is the great the, the perfect time to talk about it but the the history of 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 chinese pots and and ceramics is is a is a little bit of a side note that that might help um give a little bit of uh uh, if not just curiosity a little bit of gravity to why the japanese revere the chinese uh, pots so much and why they seek the antique pots which are really difficult to find these days but it's getting um, really tough and i feel like yeah. the north america almost entirely missed out on that whole tradition in that the right right surge in popularity of japanese pots i find a lot of potters called out right. by name and these are very low quality pots but if you've got a name on it you can it seems like it's a thing and I felt that mm -hmm. Chinese pots have been undervalued in the States. Uh, there's a tiny group of people, mm -hmm. relatively small, that has always appreciated them. And I've always been yeah. a card-carrying yeah. member of that camp. But uh -huh. now that uh, the popularity has gone sky high, they're getting really hard to find really anywhere in the world. Um, it's not right. like it was 15 years ago in Japan. And much, much easier to find Chinese and antique containers. They're even buying their own pots back from like crazy the yeah. Japanese. Yeah, yeah. So indulge us a little bit of the history. I, it's the only way to find out. Well, yeah, they, um, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so hundreds of years ago, the Chinese, you know, really just kind of nailed some of the most useful, beautiful shapes for bonsai containers. Another type, I mean, some of these things weren't even bonsai. Um, the incense holders, for instance. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. But as as a potter, um, I I was very steeped in the 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 sort of mystique of of Chinese uh, technology and and how they were really the magicians of past centuries, not just centuries, but actually millennia. Uh, they were about two thousand years ahead of uh, of Western potters. Um, in terms of their kiln technique. So the, the technology of, of firing a pot and making it hard, that's what we're talking about. So that actually the structure of the kilns were different and they, they, um, they had built kilns that were able to reach temperatures that, uh, for instance, Europeans were which could, couldn't even get close to, to those temperatures. And so it was in China where porcelain was uh, and, and some of the higher fired stonewares were first created. And they kept that crown for a really, really long time. So over the Silk Road, we had porcelains arriving in Europe in the medieval period, and they had absolutely no idea what these things were. I mean, it was it was. It, it was like something out of out of uh, fairyland. Uh, it was really hard, and it was almost clear. I mean, it, the clay vitrified to the point that it was translucent, and uh, and so Europeans faked it, and that's called China. <laughs> so it was it was lower fired clay where they threw some flux into the clay, so something that would melt the clay uh, at a bit of a lower or quite a bit of a lower temperature actually, and make a. Uh, um, uh, something that looks similar and, and you could put bright colors on it and 
Um, but it wasn't actually porcelain. It was made with a totally different technique um, mm. and glaze technique as, as well. Um, so uh, all that was was <laughs> was fascinating. But having invented that stuff two thousand years before the Europeans, of course, they they ended up creating forms that that were very unique as as well. Um, and uh, the glaze work was just so subtle and. Um, the lower you're, you're firing, generally the brighter your colors. And so the higher the firing, the more earthy the colors. And so this is something that, you know, just to, to jump back and talk about people making bonsai containers, there's a whole contingent of, of potters like Ron Lang and others who are, who are using atmospheric kilns. And an atmospheric kiln, one of the, the, the primary one and the oldest one is the wood kiln. So something where you're throwing big chunks of wood into the fire, and that's burning and ash is settling on the work and that at very high temperatures, this is such a high temperature that it's almost bright white when you look in the kiln and you can actually hurt your, your eyes. Um, so with these really high fire kilns, uh, you often need to, to wear some kind of shielding. It's almost like a, like a welding helmet. <laughs> well, you don't need the helmet, but you need the, the sunglasses. In any event, um, the ash will melt at those high temperatures. It doesn't melt at low temperatures. Um, and, um, and, and it creates that earthiness. And so some, some, some of our bonsai potters are, um, are really interested in this type of atmospheric firing. Also, um, uh, salt kilns and soda kilns create uh, lots of uh, earthy effects. Um, so anyway, just just a little uh, little little brush of uh, of color there mm -hmm. <laughs> in terms of the uh, of uh, of the uh, mystique of Chinese uh, work and, and Japanese as well because uh, it didn't take very too long actually for the Japanese to because there was that that big cultural kind of gravity to the to the to the Chinese uh, world um, that uh, hundreds of years ago, the Japanese were firing in Anagana and Noboragama kilns uh, that that had the same ability to reach really, really high temperatures that again, for a long, long time was uh, Europeans were oblivious to and other parts of the world oblivious to. Yeah. And then there's the concept of what these objects look like now. So not only were they technically masterful well ahead of everyone else, there's the life that the these products take over time. Right. And that's both in look, whether it's unique clays and glazes or simply the patina we get over time. We have right. convenient phrases in bonsai, like right. it's an old tree, <laughs> put it in an old container. It's not inherently valid, but it's a convenient and easily easy to understand phrase. Yeah, if it's if that pot, that old pot has been sitting in a closet for a hundred years, arguably it's a new pot. Yeah. At least right. according to the aesthetics of you know the tea ceremony. <laughs> and yeah. that's why people are always curious about how to yeah. fake patina and how to to do that. Um, which is its own interesting thing, because none of those pots right. that we prize for their patina were originally put into use with patina. And that's actually an interesting thing to consider <laughs> in that we're using these precious, I think of them as very precious objects because they're so rare and they're just fewer yeah. and fewer as every year goes by. Right. But when they were all put into practice, they were brand new, bright pots. Yep. Yeah. And they lacked so much of the character. They may have been exquisitely right. executed, but right. the goodness knows they were meant for use without all of that character that we find right. the minimum bar. 
Yeah, they probably weren't putting cuttings in those pots only. They had some old trees in there too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> as we leave containers completely behind, a whole mm -hmm. lot of other concerns show up. And apart from the technical ones about how do you keep the trees healthy and how do you keep it from falling apart, what have you yeah. learned in designing the shape of the root ball without a container? <laughs> or has that all just been... Oh, wow. Yeah. Whatever practically results from needing to protect the roots. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, moss does a little bit. <laughs> if you can get a moss growing on it, you have a little bit of an insulation layer. When I think of evaluating it as an outsider, uh, I just get to see, uh -huh. oh, look, here's a new a post, new photo essay of this new containerless tree. And <laughs> what we have in a two-dimensional yeah. image is a silhouette or an outline. And so we can all instantly see and appreciate uh, that silhouette. And that's really the only thing we have to judge it by is the, the shape, the color, and the texture of that silhouette we have in two dimensions. It's a completely uh, yeah. different experience in person, but the vast yeah. majority of people who've <laughs> seen your work have only seen it in these carefully cropped uh, images that you've made for us. Uh, uh, well, the lucky people who went to the Pacific Expo, which which Jonas and Eric uh, gave to us, uh, we're able to see one of the uh, pieces uh, that I, I've done in the manner that Jonas is talking about. There was a little shore pine there that just had a slab under it, and it, um, so it was sort of a moss mound. It's kind of almost like a kokedama, you know, the way that we make uh -huh. uh, some some kusa. Um, and so over time, these forms become kind of lumpy as the as the moss kind of takes uh, takes on a life of its own, and then roots grow up into the moss area, and then and then the thing uh, begins to change its shape from what you originally created. And I, there, there's both a plus and a minus there. It, uh, um, I mean, I do like the moss and how it, it kind of becomes comes into its own a little bit. But uh, but the other thing is that the whole thing can become just a little bit too organic. You know, you already have an organic tree, and then the problem is that the the, the thing that it's coming out of can can also be organic and one of the nice things about a bonsai container a ceramic container is that it forms sort of forms this foundation this visual other you know something that creates a uh a, a bit of vibrance or tension between something that is very very lively and organic and then something that isn't I had a I had a professor in, in college say something that has always resonated. In fact, I think I might have said this on another podcast. Apologies if, if I have, but he said something along the lines of, um, if you have one thing, it's very hard to find necessarily meaning in it. But once you put two things together that are a little bit dissonant or opposites or, or not even that, but just two things together, then you have the possibility of creating meaning. And I, I think it might be, I don't know, I've, I've never really heard of anybody talk about what the meaning might be between... Or, or that arises when you have a, a tree in in something that's ceramic, but but something happens there. Have you um, heard any feedback that it ever just disappears, meaning you don't notice it as much? Do do you think you get some do? There's like, still like non so, pots. <laughs> yeah, because there's there are so few of these works. You're still the bulk of them are in your garden. But I wonder oh, if some yeah. people well, find I've just they given simply a great... disappear. I've just given a great argument for ignoring what I do, but um, <laughs> that it has some problems. Um, yeah. Uh, 
I mean, the only thing it really has is kind of a horizon line now, or it's not even that. It's more of a, you know, of uh, this foundation on which this organic thing grows. And that's where I think it lacks some of the tension that traditional bonsai have. And, and maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's what I like because I like, I, I like ease um, and, and a feeling of uh, even if the tree is really kind of, kind of edgy, that the presentation has a softness to it. Um, I think that's, that's probably why I walked away from, uh, from ceramic containers, which as you, as you said, is a bit of an irony given that I made them for so many years. Um, but I think my last kiln was in 2012. I think after I got back from Japan, I, I did one more kiln with a friend of mine and I had a lot of fun with it, but, uh, I realized it wasn't something that I needed every day. So <laughs> I haven't been making pots. <laughs> I know that my experience in looking at it is where the tree comes from gets attention. And typically I don't really worry about the containers unless it's more of an exhibit situation. If, if the tree is on display in whatever format, that's when I start to think about the container yeah. a little bit more. If it's on a bench, there's yeah. a lot of reasons why a tree could be in anything on a bench. Good point. Um, Especially yeah. since the aesthetic is often have a slightly smallish uh, yeah. container, and and this is another great um, great thing you're raising because it and it's another n- another way for me to diminish the work that I'm doing. But but a bonsai container out of ceramic is a great opportunity to heighten a characteristic of the tree that you especially like. You can you can heighten the strength of the tree by putting it into a very formal, strong container. You can heighten the playfulness of the tree by putting it in in a whimsical container. Um, You can create tension between those feelings by doing opposite. That's a bit, that's very rare and traditional bonsai, but but people like Ryan Neal do that a lot, which is really uh, uh, has a lot of uh, of tension uh, with a very organic container and a really dynamically powerful tree. There's there's a lot of, a lot of vibrance going on there. Um, and then, um, uh, and then what I'm doing is like giving that up, <laughs> kind of give up the potential for that. Um, but I think I, I, at least in terms of the tree that was at the Pacific expo, that little pine, I, I hope at least a few of you uh, know that know this tree. So I'm not speaking into a void, but the, the stand I'm, I'm spending a little more time with stands because I, I realize I've given up this, this potential, of, of being able to speak about the tree somewhat in terms of its container. Usually container kind of presents it, but, but the stand does as well. You know, usually we use wooden stands and, uh, and I've been toying with some metal stands that can offer a different kind of statement. Um, well, that's interesting. You've kind of shifted the role from container to the stand, but it's the same kind of opportunities you have. Right. That's the way I see it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is um, funny because this was kind of suggested which, by Aaron's project at the museum where he had pot stand and tree yeah. uh, creation yeah. going in different directions, right, which, which kind of starts getting at that. Right. Right. Yeah. That's been a deep investigation. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. It's funny. I think I, uh, I started the walking away from containers because I wanted to actually give more authority to the tree that I, um, and, 
and and then as you said you 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 pay more attention to containers and whatnot when they're actually in a show but not when they're not um and uh well say more about authority what does authority mean in that case um i you know that's one of those little tendrils that i was just i was just sort of following and i i think i need to do some writing about it or something but uh but i often felt um that containers because they can present a tree they can also neutralize a tree they can neutralize the uh, especially gentle trees trees that don't um that are not powerfully energetic which uh, which i work with a lot i work with a lot of thin trunk trees a lot of bunjin a lot of sort of airy trees and forest trees and clumps and things of that nature um and i i I think that was another reason why I walked away from a, a, a ceramic container that had a lot of presence because it felt like those those tree elements that those tree feelings began to be a bit diminished or challenged maybe by the container. Your your soul became the middle of your scale. The, I'm sorry, what's that? Your shingyo so so became the middle of your scale and where yeah, yeah very good <laughs> yeah when you're working in this less formal like forms then that that lets you well what's what's oh less formal gosh. than so in that case i never thought of that yeah because yeah, yeah, so exactly. still it's that least formal tokonoma but you're saying well we don't need a tokonoma for this display we're saying we're we're just going to set it on that berm out back you know interesting when you said authority yeah. the thing that came to mind for me was and it's funny, it wasn't a literal connection, but one thing I've noticed when I look at tree and container combinations, which I've always loved, I love trying different containers for trees. And I think there's no yeah. better way to kind of learn your own personal responses to different choices. It's it's yeah. handy for learning um, any given tradition, but I think it's most right. useful for refining our own senses of what combos we like or right. our vision of what we want to play up when showing yeah. off the tree. And you said that. Really right. Well. It can be really directed or it can be, I'm not really sure. Let me explore out of these 10 options. Yep. And you, options. I think you put your yeah. finger right on something we've all seen, which is when the container is more interesting than the tree, that's a no-no. Yeah. And now we can come back to talk about, you know, once, um, once we move away from traditional forms and there's even some, you know, some really well-known container uh, manufacturers in Japan that are making crazy forms. Gyozan mm -hmm. is one of them. Have you seen their catalog? That is probably mostly sold. <laughs> Have you seen some of these? I know uh, Bobby Kurtwright is a lot. These are the first. Yeah, he I've shared some good images of them. Oh, they're hilarious. His whole garden is they filled are. with them. They They make you laugh. I mean, they're kind of cartoonish. Uh, they have these big lips and really interesting uh, uh, sort of surface uh, treatments and lines on them they're they're fun they're really really fun and beautiful i mean i think that some of them really adequately present without being too crazy uh, well that's a judgment i i'll take i'll, re I'll rescind that <laughs> i'll take that back um but uh but they can uh they can begin to challenge a tree more and i think the gyosan are pretty crazy but they don't uh they don't go uh so far as to make it all about the pot and maybe that's, you know, that's another direction. Um, there's It'll also some, be interesting uh, to think what would the right trees be for those containers? Because that's, because yeah, I enjoy yeah. the containers, but then when you start to right. think, great, he's built the stand into the pot. Right. What are you going right. to drop <laughs> in there that's not going to be over? How do you not distract either one from the right. other in that case? Right, right. 
Yeah. Yeah. At a certain point, you know, does the, does the stand or the pot become a lot 51% or more of the story? And that, you know, is that still bonsai? Um, and you know. we have to be careful to not make judgments about mm. that too, because that's exactly. also kind of yeah. arbitrary. So it, it is, but I think we each have to answer that question. And so when or you said, at least be thinking about it, that's right. When you yeah. mentioned authority, the thing that really jumped to mind was yeah. it calls attention to the tree as a thing in nature more than a thing as an artwork. And that's yeah. what I noticed yeah, yeah, yeah. when the tree is grounded in a natural environment, meaning arising from the green ground, essentially, it's very different than giving us an artistic consideration because we're not asking questions about the dirt from which these beautiful trees in nature grow. Right. We're not making comments when we share pictures of beautiful trees. We're not saying, oh, look at that amazing flat rock it's growing on top of, which is equivalent to what we do with our containers. It's an additional thing. And I think you were, again, right on to talk about the comment it allows us to make about the tree when you have it just coming from nature it just becomes tree story as tree and it kind of highlights That's the true, fact right. that bonsai right. is the appreciation of trees designed as trees <laughs> that's i mean <laughs> there's no funnier art i mean bonsai is really an artistic view of a tree posing as a tree and <laughs> you know topiary is a tree as a shape it's a more surface oriented that's right shape. as something but else <laughs> my I design these things known oh as God. trees and my model organism for this design right. is a tree and right, it's right. Uh, trees don't tell me on their own what I want to say yeah. and express to the world. So I'm going to use a tree to tell the story of tree and I'm going to do That's that. So by far... it's, it's, yeah. It's, and then it's, I've it's got this like... ceramic thing from 300 years ago that held sand. They stuck <laughs> incense into in the temple and that's really the only proper way to do it. Right. Right. Unless it's I go, like... ge unless I go geometrical, you know, cause I'm feeling spicy today, you know? <laughs> yeah i'm thinking of the, like these actors who play themselves you know in a movie like uh Zomb zombie land with like bill murray or something playing himself yeah i mean <laughs> it's, it's, so it's a yeah i love that it's, a, it's an it's a paul oster novel <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like you're not wielding some or at least not revealing your cards if you are wielding some strongly positioned with the trees must avoid their or eschew containers for these due to these philosophical tenets, or maybe just have the rest no. of your life to figure out what those tenets are. No, I'm, I'm not holding back. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, are you doing more of them as uh, time goes by? Uh, are you more likely to reach for cornstarch or a pot when you, uh, when you pot something out of the box for the first time? Um, <laughs> yeah we 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 do we do one or two a year it's not an awful lot actually um but uh, because most of what we do here is fairly uh fairly normal bonsai <laughs> um but uh but there are projects which seem impossible to find a pot for or i don't have that pot in my yard or i you know or i'm i'm too lazy to employ a potter to make one or i don't have enough money to hire a potter to make one all of those things could happen but and sometimes do but at the end of the year uh, one or two of these things has happened but it's not an awful lot um but i do have one or two in the in in the uh, in the wings that will probably pot up next year and uh, keep looking for some some others to keep us engaged and curious and head scratching i say we when i because that my my apprentices and occasionally uh if we're feeling particularly adventuresome uh, and if I have some advanced seasonal students, we'll do it in a seasonal class. 
Um, those, those are fun adventures. Um, <laughs> and they kind of, you yeah. know, perforce entail stands to the degree that even it's, if it's a weird pot, yeah, you can drop true. it on a stand. And right. that's really its own talk we should do sometime about whether or not the best way right. to display a tree is by putting it in a pot on a table on a table. Right, right. <laughs> the whole table on a table things, uh-huh. again, it's just like containers. It takes a long right. time to learn how to select containers. It takes, uh, it's really hard to find really right. good matches. And we're lucky when we can hit the size and color, let alone the style. That's it. Feels like a triumph every time you get there. And right. It is hard, just, as we started with. It, yeah. it is hard to do this uh, within and, the framework of what we're, you know, what we're usually taught. Yeah, and so when you leave the container behind, then you need some way to get it up to eye level, and that, that's where tables and table tables come into play. Yeah. Uh, By the uh, way, more and more shows in Japan are skipping stands. I think in the current issue of Kinbone, there are multiple shows that are using alternatives to uh, tables and antique stands. They're lining them up on benches. They're putting them on blocks. They're just having them all at the same height more and more. People Mm. are saying, um, Mm. why do we need this antique object? That's harder and harder to find when we can just make a pedestal, the right size. Right. And more and more expensive. (laughs) They're not renting it. They have to somehow buy it. Yeah. Have you seen a lot of other people doing uh, containerless options? I, I have I have seen a few. Yeah. I'm always curious what comes out of the lab experiment um experiments. Um but I think they usually kind of kind of assume a a support of some sort. I mean, not even I have attempted something without you, you know, a some kind of a Oh, oh, let's cut pace. that part out. Yeah. Let's cut that out. <laughs> yeah, just edit this this out. I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> So you were talking about the bases at some point, and at some point it just becomes the yeah. thing that allows us to move the tree around or to keep yes. the soil from going all over. And so there are a lot of brutally technical aspects to the whole thing. Right. Once we develop enough weight, we can't do the kokedama with big tree. It, you have to have something that supports it. And this was you know, one of the things that um, maybe walk away from rock slabs because once you get enough weight, that gets a little bit scary and, and some sort of man-made thing like, like many have, have been making for many years is really a better option. Uh, yeah, that's, that's where maybe, I don't know, maybe there's more exploration to do find something where there isn't, there isn't even a visible platform, some sort of structural. Now, now I'm just dreaming. I, I don't, I don't know the answer here. <laughs> Are you familiar with any, I think it's uh, Yamada's daughter who makes the kind of bonsai scenes and that's kind of, I forget what it's called or if it hasn't even a name, but she creates these little display rooms almost where there'll be maybe some shrubbery around the base and an image projected in the background and the tree's kind of floating up in this. And it's a very scene-based approach to, in which the pot's way less important in those. It almost remind me of like Cornell boxes and the way that you know, they're going a little sideways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know what, whether they have found a name for that. Um, it's sort of multimedia. It is. And I actually have been yeah. surprised. It seems that in the US specifically that there have been really a, a finite number of very specific trends when it comes to containers. And it has been things like we're right. only looking at modern European containers or nothing else, period. Or in your garden, it'll either be very traditional Japanese pots oh, right. or there won't be a pot at all. And so right. we're getting these odd 
almost camps of incredibly parochial approaches. And on the one hand, that's completely natural because if someone has a a predilection for, hey, I love this approach, I'm going to work in that. And that's fantastic. But what I find is that a lot of people start subscribing to these as if these are established channels, which is kind of hilarious to think because it's so not established and yet a lot of people are coming to it as if it's taken right. for granted and it really isn't right <laughs> it's, that's it's so funny because it's not really a judgment on any which one yeah. of them i right. i have examples of all of these things and enjoy right. working across all of it but it's uh right it just makes me think oh where where does next look like given how things have been unfolding yeah, I think when I was when I was making pots, uh, gosh, this was uh, late '90s, um, mid '90s through the early early aughts. Uh, I mean, Gordon Duffett from from England was making some uh, remarkable pots with these big, you know, these juicy, drippy kind of glazes. And you know, he'd go to a convention and he'd sell out before the convention even opened. And then you know, Peter Krebs, um, and then uh, you know, with those highly intricate forms that took you know this, the japanese work another another level and in intricacy and um a horse tinsel rider with with again these really drippy mm-hmm. uh kind of glazes and and uh and, and slab uh uh considerations that are that are that are kind of off square really really inventive stuff um and then we've had some in the I mean, we just have multiple potters now that are that are trying these different things and they're creating their own universes, kind of like uh, uh, as you're pointing out. Um, uh, the name is escaping me. Who's doing these sort of cubist uh, sorts of things um, on the East Coast? I, I can't recall his name at the moment. I think that one of the easiest approaches, or at least the one that comes natural to me, is it's so funny to try to compare contemporary work that's not only not part of a tradition, but the artists themselves are experimenting left and right. And it's all brand speaking. Yeah. And we're comparing this to right. decades slash hundreds of years slash millennia of tradition of other right. forms, which are, like you say, are super dialed in. And one reason yeah. I've enjoyed the just the approach of support all of these different directions and over time those artists will decide if they're happy with their forms and they will or won't change other artists will decide if they are inspired to do something in a right. similar vein or in a different vein and then all right. of the people employing these containers in their gardens are going to be voting with what they decide to populate their gardens with oh, a great way to put it and so yeah. it's just so early days right now it's I think one of the most important things that we can do is kind of encourage or inspire people to, yeah, keep playing or yeah, please make some more of these things. We'd love to see more of them. And then (laughs) time always has a way of winning. Now it's not to say there's not a difference between pop music and classical music. There are differences, but some things kind of get picked up over time and if not enter the canon, at least enter common coinage, whereas others will be kind of left, you know, by the side of the road. Yeah. And it'll be something for everyone. So I really enjoy working yeah. with people that are doing these different things and seeing all the different ones. I can't tell you how many people will just drop by the garden. Hey, here's a pot I made. What do you think? And it's really fun yeah. because yeah. even if they're brand new to pottery, right. there will be the germ of an idea that hadn't yeah. showed up in other right. containers. And that's fun. It is. Yeah, it's exciting. Uh, and, and to 
send them back with some uh, encouragement. And uh, uh, yeah, often those uh, those newbie potters will leave a few pots, you know, for for you to try out, um, and and that's a that's a lot of fun or give some thoughts about glazes or whatnot. And so before we leave this entirely, can you let us know one technical tip for how to how you put together your um, kind of moss covered creation? Oh, a technical tip. Yeah, I guess the main one is is probably to grow your your tree in a in a pot or a box for multiple years, um, especially if I have a short growing season. Uh, get get three, four, five years of of root growth, so that that really holds together. So that when the day comes that you take that box apart or whatever, that that really holds together, and it gives you the advantage of of carving as opposed to building. Mm so reductive sculpture on the on the root mass as opposed to building a muck wall and then adding soil inside that is frankly a lot harder you you often need to do some of it but it's a it's much easier um arguably better i think to just sort of carve away at this uh this the soil that that you that you like that you've put inside this box and that you filled up so i would say that's sort of the the, the setup you know that's the springboard uh, to uh, to playing around with uh, with these sort of almost non-existent slabs. <laughs> start with so. uh, start with the yeah. root ball that has integrity. Yeah, right. and then in terms of how you build up your muck, have you found some recipes more productive than others? Um, uh, certainly, you could use kato, uh, which is sort of the uh, pond slash river muck that the Japanese use. So it's one more thing to buy, um, and uh, if you don't have to source something like that. Uh, I always think it's best not to, but, uh, but well, one thing that I found, uh, which, um, works well for me, which I didn't invent, I believe it was somebody from Hawaii who did, but it's a three-part uh, muck recipe that involves lung fibered sphagnum moss. So nothing that you're shredding or breaking up. Uh, I use Akadama fines because I usually throw them out, but you could use a lot of things, uh, because that isn't, it's not like sticky. It doesn't really hold together very well. So there's a lot of things you could use for that. Uh, to substitute. Um, and then cornstarch and cornstarch, uh, this should be cooked, you know, over a range or in a, in a, in a microwave. So it's kind of like this jelly like consistency and roughly thirds of all three of these things put together with some water mixed up. will give you this, uh, this paste, uh, that, that, that you can make any stiffness you want and it'll stiffen as it dries the next day. It's quite a bit stiff and roots grow right into it. And of course there's cornstarch in there. So they, they want to go after that. <laughs> <laughs> it's being broken down. How do you make jelly out of the cornstarch? So it's normal uh, baking uh, cornstarch and you add water to it. Um, and uh, actually, I would do it the other way around. Put water in. You, you, you bakers out there and cooks know a lot more about this than I do. But I did this wrong for a long time. But what I do now <laughs> is put water in a pan or a pot or something and then add tablespoons of cornstarch so that water soaks up from the bottom. Because if it doesn't do that, mm. you get lumpy. Uh, just a mess. So once you once it's saturated, you could whisk it up pretty well uh, with a fork or a whisk, and then and then and then put it over a low heat or put it into a microwave and, and take it out now and then and, and whisk it. But it turns into a jelly. Uh, it, it when it cooks, it 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 part it firms up a little bit, and that that's what holds this uh, this muck together. Nice. Oh, that's a super yeah. tip. Anything else you want to leave people with on this topic of containers or not containers? Play. <laughs> 
<laughs> play. Um, and we should be doing this with our trees, but so myself included, we're, we're kind of, we, we tend to be locked into the things that we've learned and I've had too much learning. Um, so <laughs> play with your containers, uh, try, try to present in different ways and, uh, and then uh, show us what you've, what you've come up with. That sounds perfect. Thank you so much for the chat today. This was great. Thank you, Jonas. Perfect. Thanks. We'll talk soon. The music on today's podcast was brought to you by the fine folks at Blue Dot Sessions. Check them out at www.sessions.blue. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, my gosh.